Welcome to the Faith Talk podcast. We're excited you are listening today. Prepare to be challenged and inspired through today's episode. We pray that every fear is dispelled and your faith is increased as you hear the word of God. Now, let's listen in with our host, Caleb Schaefer. Luke chapter 23. We're going to start out at verse 44 tonight. Luke 23 and 44. The Bible says, It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over all the land until the ninth hour, while the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in the middle. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he gave up the spirit. When the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God and said, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Most translations say that surely this was the Son of God. All the crowds who came together to that site, witnessing what occurred, struck their chests and returned. But all those who knew him and the women accompanying him from Galilee stood at a distance seeing these things. The cross today is a symbol to us of a great past victory that involved horrible pain. It involved death. It involved terrible destruction to the one who endured it. And we see our shiny crosses everywhere and our symbols that, that, that we put up all over the place that symbolize that Jesus died for us uh, and we have all these you know we put it on jewelry and we put it on clothing and we put it all over different emblems for churches we we use the cross uh, to symbolize that we are Christians uh, but we also need to remind ourselves that there really was once an old rugged cross as the song says that Jesus did bleed and, and died on we've got to remember that that for all of our fancy decorations and for all of our, our clothing and for all of our emblems, there really was at one point an old rugged cross that really did bleed and really did cause pain and agony and really did cause problems for Jesus who endured it willingly for us. Today I want us to quickly examine the events that surrounded the cross as we're in Holy Week and then notice the after event that we call the resurrection. Had there been no resurrection, there would have been no need for a cross. There would have been no need for Jesus to die if there was no resurrection. And so we've got to understand that because the cross happened and because the resurrection happened, there was one had to have the other to happen and the other had to have the first to happen we've got to understand that the two go hand in hand and they are the pillar the foundation of our Christian faith we look at the cross and we see that in the days leading up to the cross there there was a, a great 
uprising, a great outrage that took place in the Jewish community. There was all sorts of anger towards the Lord Jesus Christ in the same city where he was welcomed in early in the week. By the end of the week, they had turned against him and they had wanted him dead. They were the ones who were yelling, crucify him. They wanted to pass judgment on the one who knew no sin. There was an anger that rised up against Jesus. There was a court that took place, and really it was, it was a mockery. It was a shame created to make this innocent man appear guilty. And if you knew anything about the customs and the traditions of the time, you would know that it was illegal to even have a trial at night when they were having a trial. They arrested him. They took him and they put him on trial. And there was an anger against him that was absolutely unnecessary. Verses 13 through 16 say that Pilate called the, together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who incites the people. And truly, I having examined him before you have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing worthy of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for he was obligated to release one man to them at the feast. And so Pilate said, you know what? I don't have anything that I can find wrong with Jesus. Herod sent him back to us because we sent him over there for Herod to find something wrong. And Herod said he couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. So really, we don't know. The, the leaders of the, the Romans couldn't find anything wrong with him. They couldn't find anything that he had done to warrant death. But it was the people who were angry with him, who were crying out for his death, that wanted him to die. The anger was unnecessary because he hadn't done anything wrong. But the anger was also uncontrollable. In verse 17, it says he was obligated to release one man to them at the feast, but they all cried out at once saying, take this man away from us and release Barabbas. This man had been thrown in prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Therefore, Pilate spoke to them again, desiring the, to release Jesus, but they cried out, crucify him. Crucify Jesus. So this anger, Pilate tried to calm them down. He tried to say, listen, there's nothing wrong with him. We can't find anything wrong with him. And it's my custom to release to you one prisoner at this time for Passover to celebrate your feast season. And the people still said, we want the murderer. We want the one who has gone through our city and wreaked havoc. You crucified Jesus. Take him away. Their anger was unnecessary and it was uncontrollable. They couldn't be calmed down. They couldn't be satiated. They couldn't have anyone try to talk them down from it. And there, there was no way to control the angry crowd. They were determined. They maliciously were going to convict an innocent man, even if it meant to them releasing a thief and a murderer into their midst. And this so vividly characterizes the human race today. Calling wrong right and right wrong. 
I'm completely convinced that if Jesus were here today and it was the same setup and they took Jesus before the United States of America and said, we'll release to you Jesus or we'll release one of the most heinous criminals the people of the United States of America would say, give us the criminal. They would say, give us the criminal. There is that same spirit of anger that was in the people in Jerusalem back then running around today, and it is in the people who are running our country half the time. It is in the people who are in the upper echelons of the governments of the world. It's in the same people who are making the laws and legislating things uh, because uh, they're calling wrong right and right wrong. They've torn down the Ten Commandments in every courthouse they possibly can, taken the prayer out of schools, uh, taken all sorts of things out of our schools, uh, but in the, in the name of freedom of speech uh, and in the name of uh, religious tolerance, we're teaching other religions and we're teaching alternative lifestyles to our kids uh, instead of teaching them what the Word of God says. They're fighting to save ex near extinct species, endangered species of animals. They're fighting to save the great horned owl. And they're fighting to save certain frogs and toads. And they're fighting to save whales. And they're fighting to save all these endangered species. But it's completely okay to take a baby's life. They're fighting. If you go shoot a dog, you're going to go to jail. But abortion happens on the daily, and it's got its stamp of approval from our governments. We have taken prayer out of our schools and put pornography on the shelves at the supermarket. We've turned into this bloodthirsty nation that really does love to see fights and we really do love to see the gore and we really do love to see the terrible movies that, that, that show all these uh, just terrible fights and, and they show all sorts of gore and rape and, and murder and all these terrible heinous things. Uh, we've turned into a nation that really loves that. We've turned into a nation that really loves all these video games uh, where they just go in and shoot people up uh, and there's blood and there's guts and there's gore. Our nation loves that and that's the state that these people were in back at the time of Jesus because they wanted to see someone killed. They wanted to see someone crucified. They really wanted to see the blood and the guts and the gore. And this Roman Empire was based off of this. This was their entertainment. This was what they liked to go see on the weekends. They didn't have baseball games and they didn't have soccer games and they didn't go to the theater much. They all went to the Colosseums and they all went to the places where the Christians were fed to the lions and where the fights were and where they would kill each other with spears and swords and fight to the death. They loved it. 
And so this is what we have now in our nation, this spirit running around that loves the gore, that loves the murder, that loves the, 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 to devalue life, that loves all of this. And there is this anger that goes with it that the people are mad at the Lord. There's the same mindset of indignation today. If Jesus were here today, being tried today in the United States of America, if they took him up on the steps of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and they said, who do you want? People would say, crucify Jesus. We don't want him. The anger was unrelenting. The crowd couldn't be talked out of what they were doing. Can I tell you tonight, you can never reason with darkness. You can never reason with darkness. You cannot reason with abortionists. You cannot reason with those who champion the alternative lifestyles, uh, these agendas uh, that the world is trying to push uh, down people's throats. You cannot reason with these people, and these people in the crowd could not be reasoned with. Uh, the suffering Jesus experienced on the cross uh, is unbearable to even think about. It's unbearable. Jesus was flogged by the Roman guards. This process involved a whip with numerous leather thongs, 18 to 24 inches long, bits of metal and bone and glass tied to the leather. Scourging was an example, uh, was an extreme form of punishment. The skin on the victim's back was shredded by these bits and pieces of metal and bone, and it was exposing the underlying muscle and the skeletal structures. Severe blood loss and dehydration would occur, and many victims died just from the scourging. After the scourging of Jesus, the Roman soldiers beat him a second time with their hands and with a reed. They put on him a crown of thorns and they mocked him. Then the crucifixion took place. And it is, according to people who are, are, are in the medical field and in the scientific field, they're saying that the, the, the Roman crucifixion was the most painful form of death ever invented by man. It was excruciating. That's where we get that term from. Crucifixion. Excruciating. It was reserved primarily for the most vicious of criminals. And even though Pilate said, I find no fault in this man, he gave to the jealous crowd and allowed Jesus to be crucified. And with his arms stretched out, Jesus was nailed on a wooden cross. The nails, which were generally about seven to nine inches long, were placed between the bones of the forearm and the small bones of the hands, permanently destroying the largest nerve in the hand. In addition to severe burning pain and the destruction of this nerve, it causes permanent paralysis of the hand. The positioning of the feet is probably the most critical part of the mechanics of crucifixion because the knees had to be flexed at about 45 degrees and the feet were flexed downward an additional 45 degrees until they were parallel to the vertical pole, one on each side. And an iron nail about seven to nine inches long was driven through the feet between the second and third metatarsal bones. And in this position, the nail would sever the artery of the foot, but the resulting bleeding wouldn't be sufficient to cause death. The resulting position on the cross sets up a horrific sequence of events in which there is a slow and painful death. Having been pinned to the cross, the victim now has an impossible position to maintain. Crucifixion 
the most painful death to be invented by man. Within a few minutes of being placed on the cross, the shoulders become dislocated. Minutes later, the elbows and the wrists become dislocated. And as time goes on, the victim is less able to bear weight on the legs. They would have to push themselves up to breathe in. And they would have to keep doing that the entire time on the cross just so that they could breathe. And this would cause, cause further dislocation of the arms and further raising of the chest wall, making breathing more and more difficult. The result of this process is a series of catastrophic physiological events. The heart begins to fail. The lungs collapse and the victim suffocates. A slow, unbelievably painful death. And Jesus did it all for us. He did it all for us, knowing, going into it, what he was going to have to do. But the promise is that he didn't just die on the cross. He rose again. He rose again. He did it. He knowingly did it for us. And you know, they, there are people today who are trying to disprove the resurrection. There are people today who would try to say that Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. And so I have several questions for the people who would say that, that Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. You see, the Bible says that there was a question that was asked of Mary as she was at the tomb, and the question that the angel asked her was, why seek you the living among the dead? Certainly, this is a great and wonderful question. It's a great question, and it testifies to the fact that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And the answer the angel gave said, he is not here, but he is risen. And there are many proofs given to show that Christ was raised from the dead, compiled from the scriptures. We can see that the Jewish prophecies speak of one who would die for the sins of many. And the Apostle Paul points out that without the resurrection, we would still be in our sins. We would still be in our sins without the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he said that. There is a lack of physical evidence of Jesus' dead body. A lack of physical evidence of Jesus' dead body. If Jesus is still dead, where's his body? Where's the DNA? Where's the body? Because if his body was still somewhere dead, we would surely have a body somewhere. But there's an empty tomb. You can't collect evidence from a missing body. You can't collect DNA from a missing body. You can't collect any sort of evidence from a missing body. And the body is gone. But you see, the tomb was guarded the whole time. 
The tomb was guarded the whole time when Jesus was inside of it. The guards were placed at the tomb because the the rulers at the time suspected that somebody was going to try to come and do something to take Jesus away to make it look like he had resurrected. And they had had done all this trying uh, trying to prove that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. So the guards were standing at the tomb. Do you know that it was illegal for a guard to fall asleep at the tomb? Guards were punished by death if they fell asleep on their watch. So they had all just seen what Jesus went through, and I'm sure that they didn't want to do it themselves. So they were all wide awake. No Folgers, no Maxwell House to get them through the night. They were wide awake out of fear because they did not want to happen to them what had just happened to Jesus. And in Matthew 28, 11 through 15, the Bible says this. While they were going, indeed, some of the soldiers went into the city and described to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave much money to the soldiers, saying, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying has been commonly reported among the Jews to this day. The soldiers, after Jesus had raised from the dead, after the earthquake happened, and after they fell as dead men, got up and ran and said, listen, we were there. And he's not there anymore. We don't know what happened, but he's gone. The body is gone. Can you imagine the fear and the trembling that these guys must have, they they must have been shaken in their boots to go and tell the rulers that, hey, Jesus' body is gone. And we think that what he said was going to happen really happened because we didn't see anybody else around the tomb. There was an earthquake and the stone rolled away and he is not in there anymore. So the rulers said, well, you guys are going to go tell people something else. You're not going to tell them that he raised from the dead. You're going to keep your mouth shut. And so they made up a lie and they said that the disciples came by night and stole him away while, while, they were, while the guards were sleeping. It was illegal for the guards to sleep, but the guards, thought it would, the guards thought it was better to tell them that they were asleep than they would tell them that the body they were guarding was taken. So instead of failing the mission one way, they said they failed the mission another way. And they said, when they come and they, and they want to come get you, we'll, we'll, we'll calm them down and we'll tell them, you know, that everything's okay. If there was a dead body, Rome and the chief priests would have produced it to squelch the mounting evidence of the resurrection. The Romans, the priests would have pulled forth the body and said, This is the body of Jesus. Here's the evidence that he has not raised from the dead. But they never did that. They never did that. Another evidence that Jesus did raise from the dead. Women were the first ones to the tomb to run back and say, hey, Jesus has raised from the dead. Do you know in the time of Jesus that women could not even give testimony in court? 
They weren't considered credible witnesses to anything. So the gospel writers all record that the women were the ones at the tomb that said, hey, Jesus raised from the dead. If it was a fairy tale, if it was a made-up story, they would have said men were there to check out Jesus and they saw that he wasn't there. But they said the women were there and they saw it. If it was a fairy tale, it would have been the other way around. Eyewitnesses saw Jesus. Over 500 people saw Jesus after his resurrection. There were people all over the place uh, that came and they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Over 500 people saw Jesus at one time in his resurrected body. Another evidence, the disciples who were hiding and were scared at the time of Jesus' crucifixion, all of a sudden got real bold. And they started to tell a story about Jesus coming back to life. They were scared to death after the crucifixion. They were running, they were hiding, they were trying to get everything, they were, they were getting out of the public eye, they were lying to make sure nobody knew who they were, and they were hiding, and then Jesus resurrected, and all of a sudden they got bold with their message, and they said, Jesus is alive, he has resurrected. Now, these men, these early Christians, would have remained silent to protect themselves if it were not true. Then the Apostle Paul, a well-known devout Jew who hated Christians, who wanted to kill Christians, met the risen Lord on the road. He fell off his horse. He was struck blind. Can you imagine? That would be like the worst atheist in the world. That would be like, think about someone like Adolf Hitler or someone like that who, who was killing all these people, who was doing terrible things. All of a sudden turns around and says, hey, I had an encounter with Jesus and he's real. He is who he says he is and I'm not going to kill people anymore. That's this magnitude with Paul and Paul has this turnaround. And the last reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus is simply because he said so. Because he said so. Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. Jesus can't just be a good man or just a prophet. He was either a liar and has deceived millions of people for centuries. He was crazy to call himself God or he is the risen Christ and he told the truth. He is the risen Christ today. He is the one who was dead and now lives. He is the one who lives forevermore. He is on the throne tonight and because he resurrected from the dead, it validated everything else he ever said. Everything he ever said about you is the truth. Everything he ever declared about you is the truth. It secured every promise for you when he rose from the dead. You see, when he rose from the dead, that meant that everything he had said about himself was the truth. It meant that everything he talked about was the truth. And so the proof is in the pudding. And what happened was that he raised from the dead. And that makes everything that he said about you true. Do you know that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places today? Do you know that you're the head and not the tail? Do you know that you're above and not beneath? Do you know that you're the blessed of the Lord? Do you know that you're blessed in the city and you're blessed in the field? You're blessed in your coming and in your going. Do you know you're healed tonight? Do you know you're 
set free tonight? Uh, do you know that you are secure? Do you know that you are accepted? Do you know that you're not rejected? Do you know that he's with you tonight? Uh, do you know that every single thing he ever said in his word is true because he resurrected? And so tonight, whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life, whatever it is that you're struggling with, fighting against, I can tell you tonight that his word on it is true. And so when he said, fear not, it meant that you don't have to fear anymore. When he said, be anxious for nothing, take a look at the lilies. They don't worry about what they're going to wear. Take a look at the sparrows. They don't sow or reap. And I take care of them. Don't you think I'm going to take care of you? When he said, I'll give you water the water of life and you'll never have to thirst again he meant it when he said I'm the bread he meant it when he said I'm the good shepherd he meant it everything was true everything was true they had to make up a cover-up story to try to say that he didn't resurrect because they couldn't go find a body anywhere. Tonight, what this word says about you is the truth, is the truth. And there's provision, there's healing tonight, there's forgiveness tonight, there's peace tonight. And that's why I get so excited at this time of the year because it's just a reminder to me, he is who he says he is. And everything he ever promised us, everything he ever told us is the truth for us. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. We can trust in him because he fulfilled his promise to resurrect. He fulfilled his promise to resurrect. And so I'm excited tonight because regardless of how the world looks around us, regardless of the fights that we deal with in day-to-day -day life, regardless of what the doctors are saying, regardless of what our government says, He is alive and He is king and lord and nothing can ever change that if we will believe that and if we will trust that and we will accept that for ourselves and for our life can i tell you tonight that it doesn't matter what we come up against it doesn't matter what we face tonight because we can trust that he is taking care of us and he is holding us together when it feels like we're crumbling tonight when it feels like we're going to despair tonight and we want to give up tonight i can tell you that he is your good shepherd. He is the Lord and everything he said about you is true. 
So whether you see those things in the natural, this is when it gets difficult for us. When we don't see the things in the natural that we're expecting, that we're believing God for, when we don't see those things in the natural, we begin to wonder and we begin to question. But tonight, we've got to make up our minds. We've got to say in our heart, you know what? Because you are who you said you are, then I am who you said I am. And everything you promised me belongs to me, whether I see it in my life right now or not. It belongs to me. It belongs to me. Amen. We stand to your feet tonight. I'm just going to ask in this place who in here tonight would just say, you know what? I'm facing something difficult, something painful, something that feels wrong, something that hurts in my life, something that needs healed, something I need delivered from. If you say, that's me, will you pray for me? I just want you to put your hand up and put it back down. I see hands all over the place, yes. Tonight, you can rest in the fact that he is taking care of it because he is who he said he is. And he did what he said he was going to do. And in your life, it is no different. Because he cannot tell a lie. He cannot make one false statement. So he said you were healed. He said you and your household would be saved. He said you'd be delivered. He said he would provide for you. He said it all. And so tonight... I'm going to pray and ask God to reassure you in every way that he's working on your behalf. Father God, tonight, we thank you, God, that you are almighty, and God, that Jesus did raise from the dead. God, that he's not dead, but he's alive right now. And because he is who he said he is, and because he did what he said he would do, God, we thank you tonight that you are able to do anything in our lives. God, you've told us the truth all along. You've told us the truth to this point. And so, God, we're going to continue to believe that you're telling us the truth. God, when you say we're healed, we believe we're healed. When you say we're set free, we believe we're set free. When you say our household shall be saved. God, we believe that our household shall be saved. Tonight, my God, I pray for every single person in this room, and God, I ask you to touch and to move in their lives in ways like never before. Cover them by the blood, God. Reassure them, Lord, that you are Lord in their life, and you're working on their behalf, whether they can see it or whether they cannot see it. God, help them to trust in you by reassuring them. Holy Ghost, I pray that you would show up on the scene of whatever it is that's troubling them tonight. God, whatever hurts, God, whatever it is from the past that they're dealing with, Lord, tonight, cover them, keep them, watch over them, and let them know that you care so much. I plead the blood of Jesus down over everybody in this room and over everybody watching by Facebook. And God, I ask for 
you to move in their lives. Heal and make whole this resurrection season. We love you tonight. We ask that you'd help us to keep our focus on the cross this week and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Faith Talk podcast. If you would like to connect with the host, you can do so on Facebook at Caleb Schaefer Ministry, on Instagram at Caleb underscore Schaefer, or by visiting www.calebschaefer.com. Be sure to check out Caleb's worship albums on iTunes, Amazon Music, and wherever digital music is sold or streamed. If you've been encouraged today, please share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. May God bless you, and remember to tune in next week for another episode of the Faith Talk Podcast.